enter the zone. The Prophecy Zone, your end-time watchman, bringing you light in a dark world where truth is rivaled with a lie and the matrix is normal life. Luke 21. And there shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars and upon the earth distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth for the powers of heaven shall be shaken and then shall they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory and when these things begin to come to pass then look up and lift up your heads for your redemption draweth nigh. You are now in the zone. So be ready to enter the light or truth about the end of days so you will be ready for the coming of the Lord. You are in the zone, the prophecy zone. So join us for the next hour as we look at world events in line with Bible prophecy so you'll be informed and be ready for the coming of Jesus Christ. Unleavened bread, he was buried. He rose on first fruits, not the day before, not the day after. Shavuot or Pentecost happened on Pentecost. So do you understand the fall events will happen on those days? That's just it. We don't know what year. We're not date setters at all. But it's important to realize the events will happen. And the other thing is this. They're going to happen in order. You can't have Pentecost until he rose on first fruits. He's not going to rise until he's buried. He's not going to be buried until he dies. Well, it's the same thing. There's three fall feasts that we're going to go over, and they will happen in order. And the first feast to be fulfilled prophetically. I mean, people, they don't understand prophecy unless they understand this. This is fundamental. And uh, the first feast prophetically to be fulfilled is the Feast of Trumpets, which is tonight. It started at sunset last night, and it goes for two days, and we're going to talk about that, what that means. How about the word moed, an appointment, the divine appointments? How many of us believe in divine appointments? Well, it's nice to know God's already scheduled some of them. You know, God's already told us he's going to be there, so we want to be there. So this is an overview of all seven festivals. So the, there's basically a couple of calendars. Just like in the natural, we have a fiscal calendar and we have our regular calendar. In Judaism, they have their religious calendar and they have their civil calendar. And this is basically the religious calendar starts the first month is Nisan. But on the agricultural calendar, the first month is the month of Tishri, which is today. It started at sunset last night. It's the first day of the month of Tishri. So you see in the first month, you have Passover, unleavened bread, and first fruits. And then 50 days later, you have the Feast of Pentecost. And then in the seventh month, the month of Tishri, you're going to see the Feast of Trumpets, Day of Atonement, and the Feast of Tabernacles. So these feasts deal with the first advent of Christ. These feasts deal with the second advent of Christ. So again, if you'll notice, Passover is separate from the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is seven days long. So it's kind of like bookends. You have Passover followed by the seven-day Feast of Unleavened Bread. And then in the seventh month, you have the Feast of Tabernacles, which is the last feast, which is seven days long, followed by a separate feast called Shemini Atzeret. And we're going to be talking about that in a couple of weeks. And basically what Shemini Atzeret speaks of, it's the eighth day, which symbolizes eternity. Happy birthday. Today is Shana Tov, or Happy New Year. And our calendar, January 1st, is our new year, right? On the Hebrew calendar, today really is a happy birthday to the world. In Judaism, this is the day the world was created on this very day.
As a matter of fact, the first word in uh, the Torah is breshit. We read in the beginning. But breshit in Hebrew, you can turn it around and it says the first of Tishri, which is what today is, which is quite interesting. And so today is uh, Happy New Year. So you can say Shana Tov. Say that, Shana Tov. There you go. Very good. That's Happy New Year. Now, everyone here is familiar with Hurricane Katrina, right? Uh, don't you always have a desire to know in advance the likely occurrence of some important event that's going to impact your life? When, I mean, they at least had, what, a few days, a few weeks, maybe a week's warning. Some of them took advantage of it. Some of them didn't. Uh, especially if it's a life or death issue, wouldn't you want to know in advance when something was going to happen? Well, see, the Lord gave us these festivals, and so we could understand the divine appointments and know uh, what to expect. And so, again, let's review for just a second for those that weren't here last week. Go to the next clip. This is from Leviticus 23, and it's verse 1 and 2. And it says, The Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, and saying to them, Concerning the feasts of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations, even these are my feasts. Now, the word feast really is moed, and it means what? An appointment. And the term convocations means dress rehearsal. But if you'll notice, we are to be proclaiming them, and that's what he's doing. He's like the town choir. He's proclaiming them, and that's what I'm doing today. I'm proclaiming them because I want you to understand how important they are. So let's take a look at the next clip. Uh, the Feast of Trumpets, the Feast of Yom Kippur, and the Feast of Tabernacles are the three fall feasts. And here's what they represent. The Feast of Trumpets represents repentance. Feast of Yom Kippur is redemption. And then the Feast of Tabernacles is rejoicing. Can you see how that makes sense prophetically? You've got to repent before you can be redeemed. And after you're redeemed, then you rejoice. They occur in that order, prophetically. And so what's very important for you to realize is the idioms for the Feast of Yom Teruah. Now, Yom Teruah, if you remember, means the day of blowing. Okay, the day of blowing the trumpet. Now, how many of you have different names in one sense? You can be husband, you can be brother, you can be son, you know, friend. Well, this feast has different names. And the reason why is there are very important meanings that each one has. So on your notes, I've listed the different uh, events that will happen on this day. Just like Passover, they rehearsed killing the lamb because what happened? The lamb died on that day. So these are the different events that we're going to look at from a scriptural standpoint to see what's supposed to happen on this day. How, what is it symbolic of? It is known as the time of Jacob's trouble. That's the tribulation. I believe we'll begin on this day some year. Also, it's known as the day of the awakening blast, which in Hebrew is the Natsal, or in English it would be the rapture. I firmly believe, and I will show you today, how it will happen on this day, but again, I have no idea what year. And as far as if I'm pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, I'm pan-trib. Have you heard of that? Everything will pan out just fine if you're serving God. And uh, I, I do believe it will happen on this day. Whether it's the same year the tribulation starts, I have no idea. That's not, my point is not to set the date of the rapture. But I will tell you it will happen on this day. Uh, also, it's called Yom Hadin, which in Hebrew means the day of judgment. Uh, it also means the opening of the books and the opening of the gates. And you're going to see all this plain as day in Scripture. It's also known as Yom HaKaseh, which means the hidden day. It's also known as HaKidushin, or Nesuin, which means the wedding of the Messiah. The wedding will take place on this day. And lastly, it's known as Hamelech, which is the coronation of the Messiah. 
How many of you want to be there when he's crowned at the ceremony, when he's crowned? I mean, there's this one song, I want to be there, when the trumpet calls. I tell you what, I want to be there. It will happen on this day. Uh, I just came from a Yom Truer service in Gig Harbor. Four or five Messianic congregations were together. We blow the shofar a hundred times and everything, and it's awesome. And we sing songs relating to these events. Uh, some of them is, Awake, O Israel. You know, we need to awake. Uh, another one would have to be uh, to doing with him being the king over all the earth. Uh, and it's quite exciting. And so let's take a look at this next clip here. That's the moon with stars around it. And on the verse in Genesis 1.14, uh, on your notes, it says, And God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night, and let them, you notice it says them. That means the sun, the moon, the stars, not any one particular one of them, but let them collectively be for number one, signs. Do you know what the word for signs means? The Hebrew word is in Strong's 2.26, it's oath, and it means a signal, like a flag. If you remember that the, the Magi, they looked at the stars and they understood that the Messiah had been born. And so we see firstly that they are to be used as signals. That the heavens, that God uses them to signal us what's happening. Also it says, and for seasons. The word seasons here does not mean winter, spring, summer, and fall as you may have thought. In the Hebrew, the word is moed. The same word as festival. They were for the divine appointments. They were so we could plan and know when the divine appointments were. Very important to understand that doesn't mean winter, spring, summer, fall. And then after that, then it says they are to be for days and years. So primarily they're for God's festivals, for God's appointed times for us to realize what's going on. And the reason why that's important, if you know anything about the calendar, the Muslims go by a strictly lunar calendar. I don't know if you knew that or not. We go by the Gregorian calendar, which is strictly solar. The Hebrews go by a solar lunar calendar. So they're following God's calendar where it says, let them be for days and years. Where did our calendar come from? Does anyone know the origin of our calendar? It's what, what is it called? It's called the what? The Gregorian calendar. That came from Pope Gregory. And you know where he got it from? Okay, he, he's the one that was tweaked the leap years a little bit from uh, Julius Caesar. Before that, it was called the Julian calendar, dated around 70 B.C. And Julius Caesar represents what? Rome. Paganism. Like I said last week, if you live on the time zone change, you have to have two clocks in your house, one for where you live, one for where you work. God has always wanted us on a different calendar. Uh, going back to what the lady had said earlier, or someone, one, I think you said, when did this change take place? We've got to realize God has a calendar and man has a calendar. Uh, we use both. They're both necessary. But to live our spiritual walk, we need to be on this calendar. Uh, I have here in your notes, uh, the Hebrew calendar is the annual calendar used in Judaism. It's based upon both the lunar cycle, which defines the months, and the solar cycle, which defines the years. Uh, sometimes what we do, we add one day every four years for leap years, okay, they add an entire month, seven times in a 19-year cycle is how they do theirs. So it's a, it's a completely different cycle. But it's very good to uh, get a Hebrew calendar that also is a Gregorian calendar where you can see both what day it is on our normal calendar and what day it is on the biblical calendar as well. The Antichrist does not want us to know the appointed times. You're going to see this here in Daniel 7, verse 25. 
It says, and he shall speak great words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High. And he thinks to change what? Times and laws. You know what the Hebrew word for times is? Moed, the divine appointments. He wants to get the Christians off of the biblical calendar and celebrate different calendar so we don't, we're not ready and we're not aware of what's happening. So all of a sudden we, we don't catch it. Isn't that pretty slick of him? I mean, once you want to do that, I mean, if you had to make an appointment, a very important, let's say you're a competitor, you're in business, and you have a competitor, and you're supposed to meet one of your suppliers or something like this on a certain day, and then have the other guy call, hey, guess what, this is so-and-so, let's change the date. Well, all of a sudden, you're there, and guess what? The other person isn't. So it's very important, we understand how important these times are. Uh, Amos 3.3 says, can two walk together except they be agreed? Very important. Uh, again, with God's calendar, can I mean sometimes Vicky gets mad at me. I'm walking five steps ahead. She guys will be get back here. You know, you walk with me, and uh, we need to walk together with the Lord. All right. I mean, you may agree that you're going to go on vacation as a spouse, but if one of you wants to go to Hawaii and the other one wants to go to California, you're not in total agreement. If one of you wants to go by plane, the other one by boat, you're not in total agreement. So we need to realize we need to be in agreement with God if we're going to walk with Him. And so, uh, let's take a look at the next one. It says, uh, the word proclaim there in the Hebrew, uh, at the very beginning where it says you shall proclaim, the word proclaim there means uh, the idea of accosting somebody, grabbing a hold of them and calling them out by name. In Leviticus 23, at the top of page 2, here's what it says. It says, and the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, in the first day of the month, you shall have a Sabbath. So the Sabbath uh, could have been any day of the week in this particular situation. And today is the first day of the seventh month on the Hebrew calendar. This is the first of Tishri. And it says it's to be a memorial, a blowing of trumpets, a holy convocation. So here again, you see it's to be a dress rehearsal. Now, what is it to be a memorial of? When you think of a memorial, you can also think of like Memorial Day. And what do we do on Memorial Day? Those that died in the service, right? Well, this is to be set up as a memorial. In the Hebrew, it's like a memento. Uh, look at uh, Strong's number 2142, it's Zakar, and it means to mark it so it's recognizable. To remember, to make mention of it, to be mindful, make to be remembered, or a memento. And so I have different mementos here. Let's say you've been to some place and you collect uh, mementos. Well, God wanted his children to remember, and so he, how many of us know we forget things? So he said this day is to be like a memento to you, for you always to remember something. Well, uh, what the Bible says, if the Lord doesn't remember you, what is that a sign of? I mean, he wants us to remember him, right? And he wants to remember us. And if the Lord has no remembrance of a person or a nation, then that means basically they've been rejected by him, right? As a matter of fact, in Luke 13, it says, uh, He shall say, I tell you, I know you not whence you are. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. So when he says, I don't know you, he's saying, I don't remember you. So he wants us to remember him, and when we do that, he will remember us. You're going to see that more here in a little bit. So in Numbers 10.9, the next clip, 
it says, if you go to war in your land against the enemy that oppresses you, you shall blow an alarm with trumpets, and what? You shall be remembered before the Lord your God, and you shall be saved from your enemies. And so the whole concept of this day is to be remembered. We want to remember God, and he, we want him to remember us. And so we sing here, by blowing the shofar, I will remember you. It's like the crying out of the shofar, God, help us. And we see in Malachi 3, uh, verse 16 through 18 on your notes, it says, Then they that feared the Lord spoke often one to another, and the Lord hearkened and heard it. And there was what? A book of remembrance was written before him that feared the Lord and thought on his name. And God says here, They shall be mine, saith the Lord of hosts, in that day when I make up my jewels. I will spare them as a man spares his own son that serves him. Then shall you return and discern between the righteous and the wicked, between him that serves God and him that serveth him not. This is kind of talking about the foolish virgins and the wise virgins, the evil servants and the good servants. That's what this is saying. Okay, You're going to know who are his and who is not his. And so we see uh, this is what, one of the things that this is a memorial of. The next clip. Did you know that in Judaism, this is also the same day Isaac was bound by Abraham? When God asked Abraham to offer up his son, his only son Isaac, that happened on this day. This is what is taught throughout Jewish history. It's believed that the offering of Isaac occurred on Rosh Hashanah. It is said among the Jews that when God hears the sound of the shofar, he is moved to leave his seat of judgment and go to a seat of mercy and forgiveness. And remember what Abraham caught in a thicket was what? And so the ram's horn is to remind him to show mercy and not judgment. Isn't that interesting? So this is what we're to remember. And who does Isaac represent? Yeshua. Exactly. So we're saying, remember the Lord. You know, remember Isaac. This is what we're to remember on this day. And so we see on the, the next uh, clip, uh, Numbers 29.1. Look what else it says here. And in the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall have a holy convocation. Again, a separate verse that always says, you know, let two or three scriptures give witness. You can't take one verse by itself. And it says, you shall do no servile work. It is a day, and the Hebrew word for day is yom, a blowing, and the Hebrew word for that is teruah, of the trumpets to you. So that's where you get yom teruah from, which is what this day is called. As many of you are familiar with Rosh Hashanah, but that really isn't an accurate term. It's actually Yom Teruah, and this is the verse that comes from, which means day of blowing. And, and I said it last week, I don't know if you remember, but it's not Yom Kippur, it's Yom Kippur. And it's not Yom Teruah, it's Yom Teruah. Yom means to roar like the sea. So when you say Yom Kippur, you're saying roaring like the sea atonement, rather than day of atonement. Okay, so it's Yom Kippur. Uh, so teruah, now look at what teruah means uh, on number 8643. It not only can mean blowing, it can mean uh, an acclamation of joy or a battle cry, especially a clangor of trumpets to blow an alarm, to rejoice, and what else? Shout. Now, I'm going to give you a lot of words that you're going to be picking up as we're reading this that you may not have ever understood before, but all of a sudden now you're going to see the Feast of Trumpets, Feast of Trumpets, Feast of Trumpets all through here. The key words, you're going to see alarm. You're going to see trumpets. You're going to see shouting. So those are some of the key words. And in 1 Corinthians 14.8, 1 
Paul even says, if the trumpet gives an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself to the battle? The whole purpose of the shofar was to be a battle cry. But if, if you don't understand what the correct sound is, how are you going to know if it's a call to a meeting or a call to war? Uh, and then look at Psalms 47.5. It says, God is gone up with a what? That's the Hebrew word teruah. And the Lord with the sound of the trumpet. And that's not a man-made trumpet, that's the shofar. Well, that is exactly what 1 Thessalonians 4.16 is quoting. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a what? With the voice of the archangel, with the shofar of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. He's speaking of Yom Teruah in this verse. Do you see that? Look at Zechariah on the top of page 3. Chapter 9, verse 14. It says, And the Lord shall be seen over them, and his arrow shall go forth as the lightning, and the Lord God shall blow the shofar, and shall go with whirlwinds of the south. This is why in Psalms 89, 15, Blessed is the people that know the joyful sound. The word sound there in Hebrew is teruah. That's why it's blessed are you if you know the sound of the shofar. Because that is the sound of the, the rapture blast. That is the sound of the shofar. Now, one of the idioms, the first one we're going to take a look at here, is the time of Jacob's trouble. And why do I know that it will be happening on this day? We're going to take a look at that. Let's start with Jeremiah 36 and 7. It says, Ask now and see whether a man does travail with child. Wherefore do I see every man with his hands on his loins as a woman in travail, and all faces are turned into paleness? Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. And then Isaiah 26:17. here it says, As a woman with child that draws near the time of her delivery is in pain and cries out in her pain, so have we been in your sight, O Lord. Isaiah 13:6-8 also likens this day like that. It says, How ye... For the day of the Lord is at hand. It shall come as destruction from the Almighty. Therefore shall all hands be faint. And every man's heart shall melt, and they shall be afraid. Pangs and sorrows shall take hold of them. They shall be in pain as a woman that travails. They shall be amazed one another. Their faces shall be as flames. Can you imagine what that's going to be like? And then Daniel 12.1. It says, And at that time Michael shall stand up, the great prince which stands for the children of your people. And there shall be what? A time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, even to that same time. And at that time, your people will be delivered, everyone that has found what? Written in the book. You're going to find books is another very important term for Yom Teruah. Because if you remember, I said it's the opening of the books, the opening of the gates. Whenever you hear about opening of books, gates, all these are key terms. Now here's, here's your key verse here. This is Zephaniah 1, 14 through 16. The great day of the Lord is near. Now what day are they talking about? The tribulation. And it says, it is near, and it hasteth greatly, even the voice of the day of the Lord. The mighty man shall cry there bitterly. That day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of wasteness and desolation, a day of darkness. Very important word there. It's a day of darkness and gloominess. It's a day of clouds and even thick darkness. Now look at this. It is a Yom Teruah. It is a day of the shofar and alarm against the fenced cities. So right there in the Hebrew, it's telling you this day is a day of blowing the shofar. It's a day of blowing. 
Let's look at Matthew 24, 7 and 8. It says, For nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences, earthquakes in diverse places. And all these are the beginning of sorrows. Uh, the Greek word for sorrows here literally means uh, like childbirth pains. And then here in Amos 5.20, we see that the day of the Lord is to be darkness and not light, even very dark and no brightness in it. So are you getting an idea of what the day of the Lord is going to be like? Okay, not good. Now, how many of you know the book of Proverbs also is a prophecy? Have you ever thought of Proverbs as being prophetic? Look at this. This is Proverbs chapter 7. Oh, we're going to start with Revelation 17 first. Revelation 17. It says, And upon her forehead was a name written, uh, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of what? Harlots and the abomination of the earth. Now let's take a look at Daniel 11 for a minute. This is talking about the Antichrist. And it says, And such as do wickedly against the covenant, he shall corrupt by what? Flatteries. But the people that know their God shall be strong and do exploits. Oh, Proverbs 7, verse 1 through 3. He says, My son, keep my words and lay up my commandments with you. Keep my commandments and live. And my law, and the Hebrew word for law is Torah. Very important. As the apple of your eye. Bind them upon your fingers, write them on the table of your heart. The word for Torah, if you'll notice, uh, actually means to teach. Law is an inaccurate translation. Whenever you read the word law, that is incorrect English translation. Because uh, most of the time it refers to the Torah, and the word Torah in Hebrew literally means to uh, teach or to point out, like with the finger, like you're teaching, okay, to hit the mark. How many of you know sin means to miss the mark? Torah means to hit the mark. That's literally what it means. It means to flow as water, like the rain. With that understanding now, let's go to Proverbs 7. Let's look at verse 4 through 10. And why do they want to understand the Torah and hold it as the apple of their eye. It says, Say unto wisdom, you are my sister, and call understanding your kinswoman, that they may keep you from who? The strange woman, from the stranger which does what? Flatterers with her words. And then it says, For at the window of my house I looked through my casement and beheld among the simple ones. And I discerned among the youths a young man who was void of understanding, passing through the street near her corner. What in the world is he doing there, you know, to begin with? And he went the way to her house, and it says, it was in the twilight, in the evening, even the what? And when you hear black and dark night, what do you think of? The time of Jacob's trouble. And behold, there met him a woman with the attire of what? A harlot. You're thinking of the book of Revelation, subtle of heart. And then look what she says in verse 13 through 15. She caught him and kissed him, and with an impudent face said unto him, I have peace offerings with me. This day I have paid my vow. So she's a religious harlot. And she says, therefore came I forth to meet you diligently to seek your face, and I have found you. Okay, they're, they're seeking you. Now let's take a step back for a minute. Look at Mark 13.34. It says, the Son of Man is as a man taking a far journey who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to every man his work and commanded the porter to watch. Now who is, who's the one that took a far journey? Jesus, Yeshua. Let's look at Matthew 25. For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country, who called his own servants, delivered unto them his goods, and unto one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, every man according to his several ability, and straightway he took his journey. So we see the Son of Man is Yeshua, who's gone on a far journey, and he's given money, authority to his servants. Look at Matthew 20. 
It says another parable. The kingdom of heaven is likened to a man that's a householder, which went out early in the morning to hire laborers into his vineyard. And when they received it, they murmured against the good man of the house. Who's the good man of the house? Yeshua. Okay, the Lord. Well, now let's look at Proverbs 7, see what the harlot says. She says, Come, let us take our fill of love until the morning. Let us solace ourselves with loves. The good man is not at home. He is gone on a long journey. He's taken a bag of money with him, and he will come home at the appointed time. Even the devil knows the biblical calendar, and he knows Messiah will come back and begin his millennial reign on the Feast of Tabernacles. Do you know what the Hebrew word for day appointed is here? It's on your notes. It's kese, and it means the full moon. The full, the festival of the full moon. Why is that significant? Because Passover, unleavened bread, started on Nisan 15. If you remember, Nisan 14 was Passover. Nisan 15 is the unleavened bread. On the Hebrew calendar, that means the full moon. Feast of Tabernacles is on Tishri 15. That means a full moon. Today is the new moon, and so it's the Feast of Trumpets. And so the festival of the full moon yet to be fulfilled is the Feast of Tabernacles. So he begins his millennial reign tabernacling among men on the Feast of Tabernacles. Everywhere it says he comes as a thief in the night, look at who he's talking to. Uh, this I found off the internet, a great example of this church of Sardis. You see the cemetery all around it. And it says in Revelation 3, 1 through 3, Under the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works, that you have a name that you live, and you are what? Dead. He's speaking to who? The dead church. And he says, uh, Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember therefore how you have received and heard, and hold fast and repent. And then he says, If therefore you, dead church, shall not watch, I will come on you as a thief. So he comes as a thief to who? The dead church. Okay, let's look at the next verse. Revelation 3. He's speaking here to the Laodatian church. And he says, Because you say I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing... And you don't realize you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy of me gold tried in the fire that you may be rich. And look what else he says. And white raiment that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness does not appear. Anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. And then look what Revelation 16 says about that in verse 15. He says, Behold, I come as a what? Blessed is he that watched and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and see his shame. So he's directly referring to the Laodicean church. So he comes as a thief to the dead church. He comes as a thief to the lukewarm church. Did you know in Judaism the high priest also was known as a thief in the night? The, the guards, the temple guards, like the ones that arrested Yeshua, they would have night watch. And the high priest would come to see if they were sleeping or not. And if they were sleeping, the high priest would go get some coals of the altar and go over and light their garments on fire, and they would run and screaming, and they would throw off their garments and be running naked through the temple courts. And the high priest was literally known as one who would come as a thief in the night to those that were sleeping. Now let's look at Matthew 25, 8-13. It talks about the foolish virgins and the wise virgins. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. But the wise answer is saying, not so, lest there be not enough for us and you. 
You go rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and they that were ready went in with him to the marriage. And the door was shut. And afterward, who we have here now? Now we have the foolish virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto who? Unto you. Who is you? The. And he says, I don't know you. I don't remember you. You didn't remember me. I don't remember you. You watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour when the Son of Man cometh. Who is he speaking to? The foolish virgins. Now let's look at the servant situation in Luke 12. He says, Blessed are those servants whom the Lord, when he comes, find, when he cometh, shall find them doing what? They're watching. And it says, Verily I say to you that he shall gird himself and make them to sit down to meet, and will come forth and serve them. And if he shall come in the second watch or come in the third watch and find them so, blessed are those servants. And this know that if the good man of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched. So the, the good man of the house is going to be watching and not allow his house to be broken through. Be you therefore ready also, for the Son of Man comes at an hour when you think not. Now look what Peter immediately says. Look at, look at his words. Peter says, okay, Lord, are you speaking about this parable to us or to everybody? That's what he's saying. Okay, who's he going to come as, you know, how's this going to happen to us or everybody? Well, let's look at the next few verses. The Lord says this, okay, Peter, who is the faithful and wise steward, whom his Lord shall make ruler over his house to give them their portion of meat in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he comes, shall find so doing. That means watching. He says, of the truth I say unto you that he will make him ruler over all that he has. But now, look what it says. But, and if that servant say in his heart, my Lord delays his coming, and so begin to beat the men servants and the maidens and to eat and to drink and to be drunken, the Lord of who? Of that servant will come in a day when he doesn't look for him. And at an hour he is not aware. And will cut him in sunder and will point him his portion with the unbelievers. As a matter of fact, the Lord, what did he say to the Pharisees and the Sadducees in Matthew 16.3? It says, in the morning... Uh, you say in the morning it will be foul weather today, and the sky is red and lowering. Oh, you hypocrites, you can discern the face of the sky, but you can't discern the sign of the times. They, they, they didn't understand what was going on. And in Luke 19, he rebukes them, saying, If only you had known, even you, at least in this your day, uh, the very last sentence there is, because you knew not the time of your visitation. They, they weren't aware. I'm going to show you a verse here that's going to blow you away. In just a moment. First, I want you to look at First Chronicles 12:32. Everyone under, uh, has read this verse. The children of this Issachar were men that had understanding of the what? They understood the times to know what Israel ought to do. Now, here's a verse you may have read a hundred times, but you may not have had this, seen this before. Look at this next verse. First Thessalonians 5. But of the times and the seasons, brethren, you don't need that I write unto you, because you know perfectly well that the day of the Lord comes as what? For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as a travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But what does this next one say? But you, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day will overtake you as a thief. Because you know it is the Feast of Trumpets. We don't know what year, but they know the appointed times. They understand the times. It's not going to come as them as a thief. They know it's going to happen on the Feast of Trumpets. We just don't know what year. The day is not to overtake us as a thief. Let's look at the next one, Ezekiel 33. It says, Son of man, speak to the children of your people and say to them, When I bring the sword upon the land, if the people of the land take a man of their coasts 
and set him for their watchman, if when he sees the sword come upon the land, and he doesn't blow the trumpet and warn the people, so thou, son of man, I have set you as a watchman to the house of Israel. Therefore you shall hear the word of my mouth and warn them from me. So we are to be uh, like a warning to Israel and warning them even about these appointed times. In Jeremiah 6, it talks about... Now this is a verse I know you guys at this church, if anyone probably have got this verse memorized. But look at this. It says, To whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear? That's the whole purpose of the Feast of Trumpets, is to give a warning. That's the whole concept, is to warn. Behold, their ear is uncircumcised, and they cannot hearken. Behold, the word of the Lord is to them a reproach. They have no delight in it. Thus saith the Lord, Stand you in the ways, and see, and ask for what? Ancient paths? Anyone here familiar with the term ancient paths? The ancient path is the good way, and we're to walk in it. The festivals, the Moedims, are part of the ancient paths. Understanding the, the festivals, the spring festivals, the fall festivals, these are all part of those ancient paths that we're to be walking in. And it says, and when you do, you'll find rest for your souls. But you know what they said? Look at what it says here. But they said, we don't want to walk there. I don't want to walk in your path. I want to have my own calendar, do my own thing. I don't want to have to mess with that. And then look, he says this. Also, I've set watchmen over you, saying, hearken to the sound of the shofar. Listen. But what did they say? We don't want to hearken. I don't want to listen to the trumpet. Hear, O earth, behold, I'm going to bring evil on this people, even the fruit of their thoughts, because they have not hearkened to my words, nor to my Torah. But they rejected it. Very interesting. And in Isaiah 58, it talks about how we need to cry aloud and spare not and lift up your voice like a trumpet. So you can see, do you kind of see from these verses how the tribulation will begin on the Feast of Trumpets? You can see it's the time of Jacob's trouble. Now let's take a look at the next concept. Why the rapture will occur on this day. This is known as the day of the awakening blast. Daniel uh, 12.2. It says, Many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall do what? Awake. And what does an alarm clock do? And this is known as the day of the alarm some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Isaiah 26:19 says, Your dead men shall live together as my dead body shall they arise. And you see that word again. Awake and seeing you that dwell in the dust. For your dew is as the dew of herbs, and the earth shall cast out the dead. So you see this alarm clock here, and it's almost the stroke of midnight, and it's going to be saying, wake up. Now look at this verse. This is something you may not have noticed before. 1 Thessalonians 4.16. What were some of the key words for the Feast of Trumpets? Remember shouting and the trump, the shofar? It says here, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the shofar of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. And so there again, you see the whole concept of the Feast of Trumpets. Now here's what I was telling you about earlier. Look at this next one. This is a full moon. Unleavened bread was on a full moon. The Feast of Tabernacles, Tishri 15, is a full moon. But look at the new moon, the next clip. This is today. Last night at sunset was the new moon. That's why it's the first. You guys are going to get a kick out of this. Are you ready for this? Look at this. These are idioms I'm going to be teaching you. Because, do you know what I mean by diaspora? The Jews were scattered to Babylon and other countries. That's the dispersion. They were dispersed everywhere. If you were a Jew and you were in Babylon, 
the way they would only know the first day, this was the only feast they had to celebrate that was the first day of the month. Everything else was like in the middle of the month or a week later, which is easy once you know the new moon to date it. But this one, if you're in Babylon, well, they didn't have cell phones. How long is it going to take for them to tell the Jews in Babylon that, guess what, you have to keep this a day? They had to light fires on the mountains, and it might take a day before they find out, but then it's over. So this day is kept for two days, but it was known as one long day. Now, look at the top of page 7. Why is it two days long? Because it fell on the first, the new moon, and they wanted everyone to know, especially in the dispersion. So it was regarded as one long day. This feast fell on the first. Consequently, it was known as the feast where no one would know the day or the hour it came. It was a day symbolically hidden even from Satan, so he would not be 100% aware of its arrival because he's scared to death when this, because he knows the calendar. And so look at 1 Corinthians 2.8. Here's a good example. It's which none of the princes of this world, in other words, the demons, knew. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So God always keeps the devil off step. Now look at this. Because it's the first day of the month, it was two days long, and was based on the sighting of the new moon by two witnesses, it was known as the feast where no one knew the day or the hour it was to begin. So when he's telling you you don't know the day or the hour, he's telling you it's the Feast of Trumpets. You get that? He's not telling you don't. He's telling, he's telling you when it is by telling you you don't know the day or the hour. He's telling you, guess what? It's the Feast of Trumpets because it's the only festival you don't know the day or the hour is going to begin. Now, watch this one. On the Feast of Trumpets, the shofar is literally blown 100 times. And there are three different sounds that are made with the shofar. One of them is called tekiah, and it is a long, straight blast. Another one is shevarim, which is three short blasts. And then there's the teruah, which is nine quick blasts in short succession. So there's three different blasts, and they blow it three times. So that's nine, right? They blow that series 11 times. And what's 11 times nine? Did you know the 100th blast in Judaism is known as the last trump? So in 1 Thessalonians 4, when it says it's the last trump, again, he's telling you it's the Feast of Trumpets. So when he says it's the last trump, he's telling you it's the Feast of Trumpets. When he says you don't know the day or the hour, he's telling you it's the Feast of Trumpets. There's another one that's very common that you're going to find here in a little bit. And so we see in 1 Corinthians 15, 51, he says, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be chained in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the what? He's telling you it's on the Feast of Trumpets because that's the only feast they blow it a hundred times. And the last blast is known as the last trump. And Pentecost is known as the first trump. Rosh Hashanah is known as the last trump. Yom Kippur is known as the great trump that is mentioned in Isaiah because on Yom Kippur is when the year of Jubilee is proclaimed. But now in Song of Solomon 2, 10 and 11 which I think is one of the most misunderstood books. Sometime I'll, guys, I'll teach you guys about the Song of Solomon. It says, My beloved spoke and said unto me, Rise up, my love, my fair, when I come away. For lo, the winter is past, the rain is over and gone. The first thing that jumps out at me is, she didn't sleep for night, she went into hibernation. Winter's past. And it says, the rain is over and gone. And what does the rain speak of? Blessings. Blessings. He said, you have totally missed out on all the blessings. You just want to be in the house 
let's say, the church building. You don't want to go out and work the harvest. You just want to be in the building. The whole book of Song of Solomon is about a church asleep. And God wants to wake the church up to work the harvest. And so we see in verse 16 and 17, look what she says. Here he goes through this whole uh, discourse about how he lets he loves her, telling her to get up and move uh, to help him in the harvest. And look what her response is. She goes, my beloved is mine. Does the Lord belong to us or do we belong to him? She goes, my beloved is mine. In other words, Lord, you belong to me. I got Jesus in my pocket and I'll pull you out when I need you. She says, and then I am his. So my beloved is mine and I am his. She ends up switching this around and then changing it a third time completely, as you're familiar with the book. But look what she says. She says, he feeds among the lilies until the day break and the shadows flee away. She says, turn or go away, my beloved, and be like a roe or a young heart upon the mountains of Bether. The word Bether in Hebrew means separation. In other words, she's on the west side of the Cascades, and she tells him, you go take a hike, you go play on the east side of the Cascades and do your harvest. I'm going to stay here and enjoy the house. And so we see in uh, chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, what happens because of that. By night on my bed I sought him. Isn't that like this picture here? See, see her little light is shining, but uh, isn't that how some of us seek God sometimes? By night on our bed. She says, whom my soul loves. I sought him, but what happens? I found him not. And then now, she says, I will get up and go about the city and in the broad ways. Broad is the way of destruction. And so now she's seeking him, uh, and she says, I sought him, but I found him not. So here, and this is the spring rains. She's totally missed out on the spring rains, and now we're going to the fall rains. Look at Song of Solomon 5, verse 2 through 6. She says, I sleep. The word sleep here in the Hebrew is different than what you might think of the English. How many of us know we put our dog to sleep? But that's a different sleep than when we sleep. This sleep here means sleep to the point of death. It's the same sleep as those that sleep in the dust of the earth. But she says, my heart wakes. So it's like her heart's just barely beating. She's almost dead. And she says, oh, it's the voice of my beloved that knocketh. And the word knock here is not rap. It's to beat severely as if he's pounding on the door this time. And this time he says, instead of rise, my love, my fair one, he says, open to me, my sister, my love, my, uh, my undefiled. My head is filled with what? Dew. And my locks with what? The drops of the night. In other words, it's pouring down rain. And he doesn't want inside, he wants her outside to enjoy the blessings. He's saying, open the door and come out. But look what her response is. She goes, I've taken off my coat. You want me to put it on? I've washed my feet. You want me to get my feet dirty? It says, my beloved put his hand by the hole of the door. My bowels are moved for him. I rose up to open to my beloved, and my hands dropped with myrrh. My fingers with sweet-smelling myrrh upon the handles of the what? She not only had it shut, she had it locked and barred. She wasn't at the window eagerly expecting the Messiah's return. She was sleeping, and when he returned, she had to take time to gust herself up before she overopened the door. And it says this, I opened to my beloved, but my beloved had withdrawn himself and was gone. My soul failed when he spoke. I sought him, but I could not find him. I called him, but he gave no answer. This is a type of the festivals and the people that aren't watching and paying attention. As a matter of fact, in Ephesians 5.14, this is a Brit Hadashah, or New Testament verse, look what it says. Wherefore he saith what? Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. That's referring directly back to the Song of Solomon here. A good example. Now here's a good example of the day of judgment, or the opening of the books, 
or the opening of the gates. Did you know God has always desired to forewarn us before he brings judgment? Doesn't he? I mean, isn't that God? He always wants to warn us first. It says uh, the number 40 has always been a time for testing and uh, warning. If you remember, there was 40 days for Nineveh. Remember that? There was 40 days uh, for Moses after the golden calf. He tried to go up and make atonement. Uh, 40 days the Lord was in the wilderness. Uh, the 12 spies spied the land for how long? 40 days. Uh, in Numbers 13, 24, and 25, uh, it says the place was called the Brook Eshcol because of the cluster of grapes. So what does that tell you when you read that? The grape harvest is in the fall. This is talking about the fall festivals here. And it says they searched the land for how many days? Forty days. Hebron is where they found this cluster of grapes. And what do we know about Hebron? Who is buried in Hebron? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God took them to Hebron where they got the big bunch of grapes to see the three spiritual giants in the earth, but they were focused on the three physical giants on the earth, the sons of Anak. And so the month of Elul, there's the 40 days that we're in right now. The last 30 days is the month of Elul, and today's the month of Tishri. The Elul has 30 days, and now we have 10 days to Yom Kippur. That's a total of how many days? 40 days. This is the, the days we're in right now is the very same days Jesus was in the wilderness being tested. These 40 days are known as the, the day of testing and the day of trial. The next 10 days that we're in now are known as the days of awe. Not terror, but awe. And this is John the Baptist baptized the Lord on the first of Elul. And then 40 days later, he comes out. And if you remember, he goes into the synagogue in Nazareth and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to open the prison doors and proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Well, you know that only happens on Yom Kippur. In Leviticus 25, you can only declare the year of Jubilee on Yom Kippur. So you can see these 40 days is the same time he was in the wilderness. Now look at Revelation 14. It says, Another angel came out from the altar, which had power over fire, and cried with a loud cry to him that had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth for her what? This is the time of the fall festivals. It doesn't say wheat. It doesn't say barley. They were all fulfilled at his first coming. Again, this is typology of the fall festivals. So now let's take a look here at this. How many of you ever heard this term? Oh, yay, oh, yay, this court is in session. Who's ever been in court before? Don't raise your hand. You'll be embarrassed. The right honorable judge of the universe is presiding. Yom Teruah is the day the books are opened and all pass before the heavenly judge. And then on Yom Kippur, ten days later, the books are closed and the sentence is meted out. In uh, Jewish history, in Judaism, it is believed that every year on this day that we're in right now, the heavenly court is in session, the books are open, and God literally looks over every person's account to see how we took care of his investment in us. So that's what's going on right now in the heavenly court. The trial lasts ten days until the Day of Atonement. Your life is on the balance scales. Uh, the whole idea of a trial image uh, captures the sense of one's life in someone else's hands. How many of you know our life is in the Lord's hands? And we have ten days to repent and amend our ways during this time before the judgment is set and the books are closed. And so everyone is, in the world is passing through the heavenly court like troops in review. And we see this in 2 Corinthians 5.10. Look at this. We must all appear before what? Judgment seat of Christ. I believe that event will happen on Yom uh, Teruah. First uh, Corinthians three thirteen through fifteen it says every man's work shall be made manifest, 
for the day shall declare it. And so every man's work will be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it will be revealed by what? Fire. In Daniel 7, 10 and 11. Now look at the parallels between Daniel and Revelation. In Daniel it says, A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. Thousand thousands ministered to him. And 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The judgment was set and the books were opened. Feast of Trumpets. Do you see the judgment is set? Do you see the opening of the books I was telling you about? That's exactly what this is talking about. And then it says, I beheld then because of the voice of the great words which the horn spake, and I beheld even till the beast was slain and his body destroyed and given to the burning flame. Well, look at Revelation 5. This is John seeing the very same thing Daniel saw. And it says, I beheld and heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beasts and the elders. The number of them was what? 10,000 times 10,000 and what? Thousands of thousands. Saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power. And then you notice at the very last verse there or of the line there, it says, blessing. They're all yelling out, blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that does what? sits upon the throne. Remember I told you the Feast of Trumpets also is the enthronement ceremony of God as King? So you see, this is a Feast of Trumpets occasion. And then look at Revelation 20, 11 and 12. You see the same thing. Here you see a great white throne that speaks of judgment. And it says, I saw him that sat on it, whose face the earth and the heaven fled away from, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And what happens? The books are opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were what? Written in the books. So you can see the whole Feast of Trumpet is all tied to the opening of the books, the Day of Judgment, the court is in session. And then you'll also see it's the opening of the gates in Psalms uh, 24, 7 through 10. It says, Lift up your head, O you gates, and be ye lift up, you everlasting doors. And what happens? The king of glory shall come in, and the king of glory is coming in when the doors and the gates are opened on the Feast of Trumpets. And then it says, who is the king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Remember the battle cry was the idea of the Feast of Trumpets? Lift up your heads, O you gates, even lift them up, your everlasting doors, and the king of glory shall come in. And then we see in Psalms 118, what do we want to do? Hey, open to me the gates. Let me come in. It says, open to me the gates of righteousness, and I will go into them, and I will praise the Lord, this gate of the Lord into which the righteous shall enter. And Isaiah 26, uh, the next verse, let's go to the middle there, where I have it underlined. It says, open you the gates that the righteous nation which keeps them, which keepeth the truth may enter in. So again, you see the idea of opening of the gates. And now look at uh, Joel, chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. Blow the what? The shofar in Zion and sound the what? Alarm. That's the Feast of Trumpets. In my holy mountain, let all the inhabitants of the land tremble. For what? The day of the Lord cometh. It's nigh at hand, and it's a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness. Now let's go to verse 11 and 13. It says, The Lord shall utter his voice before his army. Talking about the voice of the day of the Lord. This is a prophecy that was just fulfilled very recently, as you're going to see here in a minute. Zephaniah 1, 14 through 16, it says, The great day of the Lord is near, it is near, it hasteth greatly, even the, what? Voice of the day of the Lord that we just read. 
And then look at the very last sentence that I have underlined. It's a day of the what? Trumpet and alarm against the fenced cities. Well, now here's what's interesting. The Feast of Trumpets is also known as Yom HaKaseh, which means the hidden day. Zephaniah 2 comes right after 14 through 16 here. And 14 through 16 talks about the great day of the Lord. When it says as near is near and hasteth greatly, whenever it says it more than once, like yea, verily, verily, that means really quick. Look how many times he says before here in Zephaniah 2. It says, Gather yourselves together, yea, gather together, O nation not desired, before the decree bring forth, before the day passes the chaff, before the fierce anger of the Lord come upon you, before the day of the Lord's anger come upon you. Here's what we're to be doing. He's like he's saying, hurry, hurry, hurry. He says, Seek the Lord, O you meek of the earth, which have brought his judgment. Seek righteousness, seek meekness, that maybe you'll be what? How many of you want to be hid in the day of the Lord's anger? I don't know if it's up, out, or where. Just the fact that you're being hidden is a good thing. But look at the very next verse. What does it say? Gaza shall be forsaken. What happened two weeks ago? Gaza was forsaken on August 14th that I talked about last week, the 9th of Av. At sunset on the 9th of Av is when Gaza was, they began to forsake Gaza. So in the context of the great day of the Lord is being near and hastening greatly, you see one of the first steps is Gaza going to be forsaken. And then in Psalms 27.5, In the time of trouble he shall do what? Hide me in his pavilion, in the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. Isaiah 26, it says, Come my people, enter into your chambers and do what? Shut your doors about you and do what? Hide yourself, as it were, for a little moment until the indignation be overpassed. For behold, the Lord comes out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for iniquity. The earth shall disclose her blood and shall no more cover her slain. That refers to the rapture. So again, you can see all of these things, the hidden day, why the Jews have been calling this forever. They've seen this for a long time. It's like the Christians understand the first festivals and the Jews understand the second festivals, but we've got to get the, everybody together on the same page. Now this next one's very interesting. This is uh, the wedding of the Messiah. I'm going to talk about how this day is like, how many of you want to be married to the Lord? Okay, hopefully. Look how this day typifies that. In uh, Joel 2, 15 and 16, it goes on to say, Blow the shofar. And it says uh, at the very end, Let the bridegroom go forth out of his chamber and the bride out of her closet. So you're seeing the wedding taking place at the same time as the blowing of the shofar. And the word closet here is hoopah. Have you guys ever seen a hoopah before? Okay, there's a picture of a hoopah up there. Well, in Judaism, when they get married, they always get married under the hoopah. And what's interesting is you see here, when most ladies get married, they take on their husband's name. In Jeremiah 23, look at the very last line there. It says, he shall be called what? The Lord our righteousness. But now look at Jeremiah 33, the very last line there. This is the name wherewith she shall be called the Lord our righteousness. It's not all caps like it is in the Hebrew. And so she takes on his name. Well, in Hebrew, there's, there's two things in the Jewish wedding. There's the erusin, or the rite of betrothal, and the kiddushin, which is the completed rite. And so on page 11 here now, you're going to see this. You're going to get a kick out of this as well. This is the picture of Eliezer finding Rebekah for Isaac. The parents normally arranged the wedding, didn't they, back then? Well, typically, uh, the young man would go to the house of the bride-to-be carrying three items. Okay, these items are going to be a large sum of money, 
the betrothal contract, and a skin of wine. So if anyone came to your house, they're always going to be considered suspect. What are you doing?
Lord, give us your word now and speak clearly to our hearts. Lord, we need you. We need to hear from heaven, and we're trusting you now in Jesus' name. Amen. First Peter, fourth chapter. First Peter, the fourth chapter. Getting ready for the end of all things. First Peter, the fourth chapter. I'm going to read just a few verses. Uh, start in verse seven, please. First Peter four, beginning of verse seven. But the end of all things is at hand. Now that's pretty blunt. He gets up before his people, and in his letter he writes, the end has come. He said, and be therefore sober and watch unto prayer. And above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Thank you, Jesus. Now, uh, in Second Peter one fourteen, he has just announced, the Lord has shown me that I'm going to die. The Lord has shown me that my time has come. And so he comes to the people now as a dying man. He comes as if to say, I'm soon going to be with my heavenly father. I'm soon going to be with Christ. So I'm going to give you my final word. He said, I want you to know the end of all things is at hand. It's right at hand. You say, well, that was written 2,000 years or so ago. But folks, if, if it were true then, it's all the more true now. It's the end of the very last of the last days. And he said... I'm going to tell you what God expects and what he wants of you. I'm going to tell you how to become secure. I'm going to tell you how to prepare for the end times. And you see, he says nothing about the economy. He says nothing about the loss of houses and lands. He says nothing about uh, where to put your money, nothing about safe havens. And he comes with this, and, and uh, I, I got a letter from somebody, uh, read one of my prophetic books about how God's going to keep his people in the coming depression. And he said, I wrote to you, <clears throat> Pastor Dave, in good faith, and I believe that you're an honest, righteous man, and I ask you where I should put my money, uh, some safe place to put my money, because he said, really, if God's warning us, he wouldn't be a very good God if he didn't tell us how to survive. And he was trying to put me on the spot, and he said, I, I want to know. I don't want any theological uh, cop-out. He said, that's what you preachers do. You cop out and just say, go pray, because that's what I told him. Pray and get the mind of the Holy Ghost for yourself. And he, he said, I feel cheated. He, he said, I, I wanted to hear... Certainly, God would have a word. He would not warn us unless he gave us a way to survive. And I get letters like that. And already since I mentioned my topic, how to prepare for the end of all things, uh, some of you feel like, well, uh, Brother Dave, this, as soon as I announce this subject, well, Pastor Dave is going to give us some good advice on uh, where to put our money and help us get fixed for the hard times that have already started. And that, that's a good, honest question. We all ask those questions. But, folks, 
Uh, this is not going to make sense to you till we get to the last half of the message. And you'll see why Peter goes with this message. As he, he says, first of all, be sober. In other words, don't panic. It's his first advice. No matter what happens. And there's many Christians right now who are in panic. Who have, who have believed and testified all their lifetime that the Lord was their keeper. We sing Jehovah Jireh. We sing all these wonderful songs about how good God is and how he's going to keep us in the hard times. And it, it, there is a human nature in us that responds, and we, we have to bring it under the word. We have to bring it under the control of faith. But he's saying, be sober, first of all. Be sober. And then second, he says, go to prayer. He said, you, you wonder why you're confused, you wonder why you're in turmoil, you wonder why you're in panic, and you're not sober in these times. And he's saying the worse it gets, the blacker the night, the more you're, you should be walking in soberness and the peace and the rest of the Holy Ghost. That's what he says, as hard as that sounds, that is, that's what I'm telling you God told me before he takes me home. I'm telling the church of Jesus Christ in my day and in the days to come. There are going to be hard and difficult times. And Peter describes those times. Mockers and scoffers are going to come. There are going to be those preaching deception in our churches. There are going to be preachers of covetousness and materialism. He goes on to describe all of those things that are coming. And he says, don't panic. Be at peace about it. And then he says, go to prayer. And folks, that... There, that's where I go. Every time fear tries to rise in my spirit, every time there's another news report that seems to just uh, uh, be overwhelming, I go to the Lord. I go to my knees. And that's the answer to all the stress problems. I just saw in the Wall Street Journal yesterday that all over Wall Street now, they have a whole hour, and, and many of the corporate leaders are are into yoga and in, into Chinese mantras and they're trying to calm their stress. And it, in some offices now it's mandatory that you go and take yoga so that you can uh, calm yourself. Well, folks, we have a Savior. We have a promise. And... We are going to be a testimony that we know how to handle stress. We've got a little room we go into. It's called the secret closet. Tell that to the world. Here, here's the world, here's world uh, looking at crystals, hoping beings will come out of those crystals. And, and there are people doing yoga and quoting uh, Chinese mantras that they don't know what means. Um, then, then you tell them you've got a secret closet where you go and you come out strong. And they're going to say, you're crazy. You're stupid. What do you mean a secret closet? Well, what do you know about yoga? I've, I've got somebody that takes all my stress away. King of kings. I meet him right in that little. You mean you meet God? Yes. We meet God in the secret closet of prayer. And then... He, he goes on, he, he said in verse 8, and above all things, above all things, above all preparations, above everything you think about how to survive in the end times, 
He said, I'm going to give you word, and this, this is the issue. And you have to deal with this. And, and this is mind-boggling at first. He, he, he says, above all things, have fervent, on fire, mercy and love for your brothers and sisters. He said, what he's saying, you're not, if you want to really know what survival is about, if you know where God is taking his people, you have to have this unconditional love for your brothers and sisters where race has no, uh, there's, there's no barrier in race. No until this church has over 100 nationalities of all colors and all nations. And I, I want you to know this church is under attack for that very reason. Many times it would not be under attack if it were just all white or all black or all Hispanic. There are churches like that, and thank God for them. But this is a special thing that God is doing here in New York City and has done. A hundred or more nationalities loving one another without racial prejudice. And, and this is what the apostle says, Peter says, this is the issue now, that there is a love. There's a, out, out in the front, it says, uh, Times Square Church, the church that love is building. It doesn't say the church that loves its building. It says the church that love is building. Hallelujah. He, he, he says the reason for this is because this kind of love covers a multitude of sins. It covers a multitude of sins. Now, here's the issue, and I want you to listen very, very closely. Paul said, if you want to be ready for what God is going to do, because I'm going to show in just a minute that in the end times, and I've already told you, I gave away my secret before I started the breach. There's coming a latter rain of the Holy Spirit. And we're, going to, we're going to go into that. And this, is where Paul, this is where Peter's going. This is where he's going with this message. What he's saying, what God's about to do cannot happen. It will be hindered unless these things are dealt with in the body of Jesus Christ. Anything of prejudice... Any member of the body of Christ. Now, we can't forgive the, those who sin against God. We can't forgive those sins. We can't cover those sins. But, but he said, I can't move. The Holy Spirit is, 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 is going to come in a great rain upon this earth. He said, it can't happen in a church. It can't happen among a people where there are those that are holding grudges, when there are those who say they love one another, but they can come and they can worship, they, can, they, they, they say I'm a part of the body of Jesus Christ here, and, and yet they come week after week, week after week, and they have not forgiven, they've not forgiven somebody who hurt or wounded them. They've not, heard, they've, they've not resolved this issue. It just stays there day after day and week after week. And, and the Bible says we're not only to forgive, but we're to cover the sins of those who sinned against us. Now, it may have been a wife or husband, a divorce situation. It could have been a, a church uh, a whole group that wounded you and hurt you. It could be an individual or a group of individuals. It could be a husband, a wife. It could be family. And there are those sitting in this church now, and I say it with love and, and compassion. 
I'm telling you, this will hinder what God is going to do in the church. It's going to hinder what he wants to do in your life and in your home. This has to be dealt with. Is there anyone that you, you have a difficult time forgiving? You say, well, I've forgiven, but I can't forget. Well, then you haven't forgiven. The Bible says, and, and this love that God expects of us is so vast and so all-encompassing. He said, now, you not only forgive, but you do everything you can to cover their sin. Don't broadcast. And this is what happens. Somebody grieves us, someone wounds us, someone rejects us, and we tell it everywhere. We get on the phone. I just have to get this off my heart. You'll never know what they did to me, and we name names, and we, we name places, and we go, we go down deep into this pit, and then we say, I, I'm only telling you this so you can pray with me. I'm only telling you this because I'm concerned about them, and they may lose the touch of God for what they did to me. You should be more concerned about whether you lose the touch of God because you didn't cover the sin. I can cover anyone who sins against me. I have that authority. I have, in fact, I'm commanded to do just that. And that's what the Apostle Peter is saying. This love, you want to be ready for all things. You'll be ready for the coming of the Lord. You want to be ready when the bottom drops out of everything. You want to be ready? Make sure that you have nothing hindering the flow of the Holy Spirit. There's something wonderful coming. I don't want to be left out. If you have wounded me, and I don't know about it, if you talked about my, me behind my back, and, and you wounded me, I, I, I'm glad I don't know, but I forgive you. I, don't, I, don't, I can't name a grudge I have against anybody because I know what happens. I know I lose the anointing of the Holy Spirit, and I know that, that I have... I have roadblocks. I've got stumbling block in my life. You should be able to sit in this church today and, and, and go over in your memory of, of that thing that is in your heart. And some of you are visiting here. God's speaking to you too. Who is it? Who is it that you have such a hard time getting that out of your system? You, I just can't. I talked to a pastor recently. A group of ministers really hurt him and uh, I was aware of the situation, hurt him deeply. And I, I talked to him. He said, you know, Brother Dave, I, I've been preaching for years, but I just can't forgive them. I can't do it. And he said, my wife will never forgive. And she was in deep bitterness. This, this, he, he said, you want to be ready? There's a context here in which a wide context text that uh, Peter's talking about. He, he's seeing something coming, and he wants the church to be ready. Now, if, if all, all you want is for God to give you food and shelter, now, as a father, I want that for my children and grandchildren, and, and, and I want him to provide all my physical needs. He's promised to do that. You see, Peter didn't go there. He didn't go there about advice on, on physical preparations. He didn't go there because, you see, he knew poverty. He knew what it's like to not have a, a cent, a shekel in his pocket because the only money he had at times was 
came out of a fish's mouth. This man had one change of clothes. He had one pair of sandals. This, this man had proven God's faithfulness, so that wasn't an issue with him. That, that, he can't even imagine Christians not believing that the Lord would provide. I've been down that way. He said, this is the preparation I want you to talk about. I, I want you to focus on. There's an issue here. I, I, I want you to look into your heart. And I, 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 you're to love even your enemies, the scripture says. You know, Jesus didn't give advice on how to repair physically other than in Jerusalem. He said, when you see the armies coming, flee from Jerusalem. You don't find him that. He, he says, don't give any thought about tomorrow because it's going to take care of itself. No, I'm going to take care of you. Don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, or what, how you're going to be clothed. Don't give it any thought. You won't find Jesus going there. You won't find Peter going there. You don't, the Apostle Paul doesn't go there. They had proven God. And you have proven God already. You have proven God faithful up to this hour. He's never failed you yet. He's brought you out of every situation. He's taken care of you financially. You are not in poverty. You have a roof over your head. You have food on your table. And he's going to see you through. All right, I want to go... into this matter of the Spirit coming down. And this is, this, this is the context in which Peter is speaking now. He said there's a great rain coming. You'll find that uh, all through the New Testament, you find it in the prophets especially. There's a prophecy in the Old Testament that there's, coming, there's been a former rain and there's a latter rain. The Bible talks about two rains. And, and Moses told Israel, he, he said, there can be no harvest unless there's a latter rain. The first rain, the early rain, came in the spring. And it watered the seed and the blade and the grass or, or, or the forming of it. But he said that it comes uh, before the harvest, before the full grain of corn, there has to be another rain. It's called the latter rain. Now, years ago, there was a... Well, uh, Pentecostal movement called themselves the latter rain. Now, some say they got in. I don't know all the circumstances or the, <clears throat> the history of that movement. And they said it went into error. But they, they, they had a truth. They had something from the heart of God. And I believe he's going to restore this truth to the church of Jesus Christ. Moses said there's an early rain, but there can be no harvest until there's a latter rain. Here's, here's the scripture. He will give you the rain in your land in due season, the first and the latter rain, so you may gather in the corn, the wine, and the oil. He said you'll have, you're going to have a rain that uh, ripens the harvest. And beloved, the early rain came at Pentecost in the upper room. That was the rain that watered the seed of the word, that, that watered the message of Jesus Christ, and it began to grow and spread. But now, folks, in the last days when the world is trembling and gross darkness covers the world, there is no way Jesus would come without. Now, he can come at any moment, but he promises there will be a latter rain. And he says, ask 
rain in the time of the latter rain. We're to ask rain, the prophet said. You're to believe God and ask him and believe that this latter rain is promised in the scripture and that it's to come. The prophet Zechariah saw the outpouring of the Spirit in the last days. He said, Ask ye the Lord rain in the time of the latter rain, and the Lord shall make bright clouds, and he will give you showers of rain, and everyone shall have grass in their field. Everyone shall have grass. There's going to be a harvest. He said, The field is going to be ripe. Jesus said, They're white unto harvest. Now, Satan knows this. He knows what is written in the Scripture. He knows that there's a tremendous, incredible outpouring of the Holy Spirit before the harvest. And he's going to come against the church of Jesus Christ, knowing what is coming. He saw what happened in the early rain. He saw the the growth of the church around the world, every kindred and every tongue and every nation and uh, he saw the power of the Holy Spirit. He saw what happens when the Holy Spirit comes down. And so, the latter rain, Satan knows what is about to happen. Folks, there, there, there's, there's no way that the Lord is going to take his church out of this world limping, and broken, and fearful, and just broken in spirit and mind and soul. No, 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 no. He's not coming and allow Islam to take over the harvest. He's not going to let anybody. The harvest is his. The harvest, the Bible said, is the end of the world. And we've come to the end of things. We've come the beginning of the end. Now, I don't know how many years. I don't, I'm not going to go to the prophet, prophetic times. I don't know that much about what happens after Jesus comes. I've, I've not been a scholar in that at all. But I know from what I'm reading in the scriptures, and the more I read, the more my faith rises, there is a coming outpouring of the Holy Spirit beyond Pentecost beyond what happened in the upper room. But you see, Peter knew what had to happen. In early day Pentecost, they had what they call waiting on the Lord. They, in the upper room, they waited on the Lord. Now, they weren't waiting just for a calendar day. Pentecost was fully come. But God was doing something. He's doing just what Peter's talking about. There had to be forgiveness. Peter had to be forgiven because he wounded the body of Christ. He wounded every one of them. And and there had to be an outflow of love in that upper room. God's dealing with things. Peter could not stand up there and be anointed of the Holy Ghost. He can't stand there if people later, some of the apostles, uh, and there's James and John who, who had boasted they were better than the other disciples and had this pride, and they're sitting there. They have to be cleansed. They have to be forgiven by the body of Jesus Christ. And their sins have to be covered. They have to be able, those men have to be able to look at Peter later when the Holy Spirit gives him the authority and he preaches what the Pentecost is all about. And there can't be something in their heart where who made you the leader? Who made you the pastor? Who made you, who gave you this special anointing? No, they sat back 
They didn't care who got the honor. They knew the Holy Ghost was there, and they were covering. Nobody dare speak against Peter because Peter is safe now in the house of God. He's among people who don't blab what Peter did. Nobody's talking about it in this upper room. They're talking about the Holy Ghost, and they're getting free because they're loving, they're forgiving, and they're covering. Do you understand where Peter's going? He said there's an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and he comes only to those who are prepared. They were prepared in the upper room. Oh, folks, I still believe on waiting on the Lord. Yes, the Holy Ghost was given, but there's something about waiting in the presence of the Lord where he's allowed to deal with these issues in our heart. And so we can have this forgiveness and we, we, we can have this strength and power. It takes power to forgive. It takes even more power and grace to cover somebody's sin after they've wounded or rejected or hurt you. And God wants to pour out his spirit in this church as we have never known or seen. He, he wants to save multitudes. And he's going to do that. But first, he's coming to purge his body. He's coming to cleanse. And he's not doing it with a rod or a whip in his hand. He's doing it through brokenness and a humble word, a, a compassionate call. Don't let anything hinder the glory of the Lord that's coming. Don't let anything hinder the moving of the Holy Spirit in your family. Don't let anything, don't, don't be a hindrance to the work of God and what he wants to do. Oh, if, if you belong, if, if you worship here at Times Square Church and you feel this is your church home, God help us all, help me, help every pastor, help everyone in the choir and orchestra and everybody in this body to be able to walk through these doors and sit here and raise your hands and worship him and you know there's nothing there between you and the Lord. There's no hindrance that your heart is open. And if, you, if you've been sinning, if you failed God, you come to the blood of Jesus Christ. Folks, the blood has never lost its power. And I have to believe that he will give us through the power of his blood. It, the cross is not in vain. It's not been in vain. If there is not a, an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in these last days, why was there an early Pentecost? Why was there an early rain? And look at all these, all of these many years since the first outpouring, the early rain. Do you mean to tell me that the Lord, when we need the Holy Ghost the most, when we need the Holy Ghost to survive daily, when we need the power of the Holy Ghost to be his witness, when, when everything is shaking and the darkness is here, we have got to have an anchor. We, the Holy Spirit comes to reveal Christ. He comes to dig deep into our spirits to make us vessels made worthy through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. And what Zechariah said is, wake up, church, the Holy Spirit. And the glory is going to fall upon nations. So many people feel helpless. But folks, this, this can't be worked up. This is a prophetic word and you have to allow and ask the Holy Spirit to increase your faith to believe and stand on his word. 
Haggai stands before a discouraged people. They're, they're remembering the glory of the old temple. The old tabernacle is gone. And now God is doing a new work. And they're, they're building a temple now that seems so insignificant to what God did in the past. And, and they're standing, they're weeping, and the prophet Haggai, I think is in the chapter, he says, uh, I see you looking at what God is doing here now. He said, some of you lived then, who was 60 to 70 years apart, and some of them are still living. And when they were young, they saw the glory of that first work of God. What a great work God did back then. You hear that a lot about the revivals of the past, what God did back then. And all the glory we had and all the wonderful meetings we had and people got saved and we tarried half the night. And and that's wonderful. Thank God. Thank God. I have those wonderful memories hidden in my heart. And the prophet looked at these people downcast and and looking at that. And and, and he, he says, who's left among you that saw the house in its first glory? And how do you see it now? Is it not in your eyes in comparison as if it's nothing? Do you understand what this is saying? Some of us who walk with God for years, we remember the movings of the Holy Spirit, remember the great things God did. But the prophet Haggai says, now, look at now, you're discouraged and you, you, you think that this is nothing and that, that we are we're just waning in zeal. There's no glory left. And and we've been overwhelmed, overwhelmed with the darkness. We've been so overwhelmed with what is happening. We get overwhelmed at the fury of the devil. We get overwhelmed of the homosexual uh, militancy and, and, and our courts making laws that we don't agree with and never asked for, never voted for. And we, we get overwhelmed with the fury of Satan among us. We get overwhelmed with the darkness, overwhelmed with the thought we've sinned away our day of grace, overwhelmed with fears and doubts, and that's what happened. They're saying, in their minds, they're saying, well, this is nothing. We have nothing to rejoice about. God's not doing anything. This is so insignificant. Oh, Haggai says, fear not. And God said this in Haggai 2.5, my spirit remains among you. My spirit is still at work. And then he turns to the people and says, I'm telling you, the glory of this house is going to be greater than the first house. The rain that's coming is greater than the early rain. There's a latter rain. So take away that frown. Lift up holy hands because the rain is coming. And God's spirit is moving. And I'm not going to let the devil let me be downcast. I don't want my eyes on, on what God is doing to say it's so insignificant. America has not sinned away its day of grace. The world has not sinned away its day of grace. The revival is just begun. The rain is beginning to fall. Hallelujah. (laughs) 
I got so excited last night because I was reading in the book of Revelation. He said, first the blade, then the ear, and then the full corn of the ear. See, everything's ripening now. And the scripture says in Revelation 14, 15, thrust in the sickle and begin to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. And then I, I went on and I read this in Revelation 14, 14, the verse prior to what I've just read to you. And I, I got so excited. I, I went into the bedroom. Gwen was retiring. I'd been in my study last night. And I said, Gwen, I'm, I am shouting inside. And I walked back and forth in our apartment down the street. Behold, he comes in a cloud. A crown on his head and a sickle in his hand. What's a sickle? It's that long harvesting thing, got a big sharp blade on it where you just mow down the harvest. And the Bible says of our Christ, hallelujah. He's not there just hoping the saints will hold on. He's not there surprised at the darkness. Behold, he comes in a white cloud. Say it with me. A crown on his head and a sickle in his hand. That makes me want to jump. A crown on his head. Say it. A crown on his head and a sickle in his hand. Folks, it's harvest time. On Wall Street, in the Bowery, Uptown, downtown, New Jersey, and all over this nation and around the world. Glory to God. It's harvest time. It's beginning to rain. Hallelujah. Do you believe that? Will you stand? Do you see what Peter's saying now, folks? Remove everything that hinders because the glory is coming. Like you've never seen or know or experienced the glory of the Lord. And you know what that glory is? The manifest presence of Jesus Christ. We will know his presence as we've never known it. We will know him as we've never known him. And people are going to be open to the gospel. He's going to melt hard hearts. And many others he's going to bring through calamity. Where they have no place to turn but to God. And we will be ready with a message of hope and not despair. Now, in prayer I asked the Holy Spirit how I was to close this service. And it's simply this. The Holy Spirit made known to me, I don't know how many, but in the overflow balcony here in the main auditorium, there's some of you here that have a hindrance. 
this thing has become, uh, has a stranglehold on you. It's a root of bitterness, a root. And that root has to come out. And it's dug in and you, you don't want it anymore. You want to be free of this. You've carried it long enough. And I believe God hears when we pray, if we agree together, two or three agree together concerning anything on earth, it shall be done to the Father in heaven. And I want to pray with you. I want God to remove that hindrance, but you have to want it. You have to humble yourself. That's right. Humble yourself. You're not caring what anybody says or thinking. There has to be something rise up here that says, I want to walk out of this church today free. I want to walk out of this church without this chain on me. Without this burden. You, you have felt and seen the agony. And if you don't forgive. It's going to come around. And whatever. You did. Comes back. In like manner. In another way. And you face it again and again. Face it now. And let the Holy Spirit bring you to a place of victory and free you. And you'll know a freedom and a joy like you haven't experienced in a long time. Uh, Greg ministered to us for a moment in song. And I want you to just step out. If you don't know Christ, you can come now. And he'll come and reveal himself to your heart and change your life. If you've been drifting away from Christ... If you're backslidden in your heart, follow these that are coming. And the balcony up there, just go down the stairs on either side and come down these aisles and main turn and come. Just humble yourself and say, Pastor Dave, I want you to pray for me. I want freedom. I don't want to carry this burden any longer. I know that takes a lot of grace. But it's that important. It's life and death. That's it. Just follow these that are coming help me to know that you are near do you know that he's near you right now do you know he said my spirit is with you the Holy Spirit hasn't left you the Holy Spirit brought you down to the aisle to the front of this church for prayer that's the work of the Holy Spirit you begin there thanking the Lord for that thank you Lord for your Holy Spirit Thank you for loving me and dealing with my heart. And look this way for just a minute. You took a humble step, boldly to step out and acknowledge your need. Now, you're among friends. You're safe in this house. Nobody's wondering what your problem is or who you have a struggle with. Nobody's thinking that. They're just anxious for you to come through to victory, come through to peace with God. Will you pray this prayer with me before I pray with you? Lord Jesus, I do humble myself and I come to you for forgiveness. Lord, I have a problem. I have this root in me. I'm asking you to pluck it out. I'm asking you to forgive me and help me to forgive and cover the sins of all those who have hurt me. Lord Jesus, I want to be free. I want to be free right now. So I cast this in your feet. I give it to you. 
Cleanse me. In Jesus' name, I receive healing of every hurt and every root to be plucked out. Now let me pray for you. Lord, I know you hear when we pray. I know you hear when we cry out to you in our need. And I pray, Lord, that you do that by your spirit right now. Just move in and among us. He said, I'm among you. I, I, I am with you. He said, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And, Lord, we come fearlessly now. We come boldly to the throne of grace. We ask you, Lord, to help us to face this and say, I don't want it anymore. I don't want anything unlike Christ in me. I want to be free. I want the glory of Christ in my life. I want the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I need a new baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I, I, I need this from you now, Jesus. We need to hear from you. Cleanse and sanctify. Change us, God, by your Spirit. Holy Spirit, you have come down and you are breathing on this church. And you're breathing throughout the land. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, just raise a hand or both hands to the Lord. And say, I believe. I believe, Lord, right from your heart. I believe you, Lord, for cleansing and healing. Nothing between my soul and my Savior. Nothing between. Hallelujah. Now, you can be free right now if you receive by faith the word of the Lord. You can be free. Beloved, we are... With this, I close. We are delivered. We're set free by the word of the Lord. Accepted and believed by faith. If this is your church, and if, if, this not, if you're visiting from another country, if you're visiting from another church, uh, just go to your pastor and say, Pastor, I believe rain's coming. I, I believe there's a great harvest. And I want to be one of the first to start praying and believing in that direction. Spread the word. Hallelujah. Folks, God's about to shut down every so-called revival that features the flesh. It's all coming down. They're not going to be able to afford it anymore. The, the money is going to dry up. And it's going to be genuine. Not going to have any stars. Not going to feature any preachers or evangelists. It's going to be ordinary people. Just like you, just let me just be ordinary people. And it's going to be people and pastors that step out of the way and let the Holy Spirit do His work. Hallelujah. <laughs> Wonderful. <clears throat> Would you turn to two or three people and say, It's going to rain? It's going to rain. I want you to believe that. <laughs> 